Open your Bible to Luke chapter number 19. Luke chapter number 19. Not going to teach long, but we're going to try to teach good. Amen? Amen? Luke chapter 19, verse number 1. So the scripture says this. Jesus entered and passed through Jericho, and they blew a trumpet and the walls came tumbling down. Just kidding. That was a long time before this moment. But Jesus walked into Jericho, and when he got into Jericho, he began to show the disciples something very interesting, and he showed you and me something through the scripture so that we can reference it. The Bible says, Behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was the chief among publicans, and he was rich. He was the chief tax collector and he was rich. Those two points are extremely important. Number one, tax collectors, not unlike today, were not a favorable position. Uh, If a tax collector today tried to call you on your iPhone and it popped up, tax collector, you might not take the call. You might hit the ignore or maybe a reply with message button or something like that. But tax collectors are not often viewed very uh, favorably. Now, if you're a tax collector, God bless you, uh, but change your caller ID. So uh, the tax collectors in that day and age were a thousand times worse. And here's why. They did not hire them based off of their credence and their uh, ability to be honest or anything like that. On the contrary, they hired them and said, how much money do you think you can produce for the government? How much money do you think you can bring in for the government? So what they would do is they would say, well, I think I can bring in a couple hundred dollars a week. And they would say, great, you can bring in a couple hundred dollars a week and whatever else you take in is yours to keep. So the tax collectors literally acted like extortionists most of the time and they would extort money from people but they didn't have banks like we have banks. They couldn't Western Union wire money one way or the other, couldn't log on to their bank account and pay a credit card, couldn't get a credit card. It was a completely different situation without any technology. So what they would do is they would go to the marketplace and they would sit at the entrance to the marketplace and a fisherman would come in with a basket full of fish and that publican, that tax collector, would stop that man and he would say, you wait right there because you have a bunch of fish and I'm the tax collector and I need some fish for my family plus you owe some money so what we're going to do is you give me 20% of your fish. Now, if the fisherman didn't want to give him fish, he probably would have the opportunity to give him some money. But the tax collectors laid in wait for those who had toiled and worked for their money. And in the right moment, they would almost like pounce on the situation. And at that time, they would extort or take more money than they needed to take or should have taken. It was a very corrupt system. So how many of you understand it would be easy to not like a tax collector in that day and time? Completely different situation than we have now. So in that time, the Bible says Jesus walks into Jericho and there was a publican, there was a tax collector whose name was Zacchaeus and the Bible says he was very, very rich. Now it's important to know he was rich for a couple of reasons. About 10 or 12 uh, 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 scriptures before this, the Bible says, are you guys cold? Anybody? Wave at me. Turn those fans off for me, brother. Everybody say amen. Turn those fans off. (laughs) Need my jacket? Just kidding. But along the way, he was, the Bible said he was rich. In about 10 scriptures before this, in the previous chapter, the Bible says that Jesus was meeting with a man, and, and the man said, what do I need to do to go to heaven to be saved? And, and Jesus looked at him, saw he was wealthy, and realized the one thing that he had an issue with is money had become his God. Possessions had become his God. Mammon, the Bible says, had become his God. He, he trusted in his riches more than he trusted in God. So Jesus says to him, like Jesus, Jesus can only say, he says, here's what you need to do. You need to get rid of your trust 
trust in things, and the way you can do that is sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and then and only then can your heart be opened up to God. Now, that's not a commandment for everybody because it's, only, it's the only time Jesus ever told anybody to do that. But it was a very specific occurrence for somebody who was trusting their things more than they were trusting God. So along the way, Jesus uh, gets to a place where now he's, he's, he's kind of uh, sitting there and the disciples, they, they wig out a little bit. They said, wait a minute, Jesus. They said, well, who can be saved? And, and the reason they asked this is because right after Jesus tells this young man that he needs to sell everything, he tells him, he goes, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to make it to heaven. And the disciples, they, they, were, they were distraught about this for several reasons. Number one, uh, Peter was a very successful fisherman who every time Jesus got around him, he almost sank his boat with fish, and fish to a fisherman means money. Matthew was a publican before all that, so Matthew probably wasn't broke. Jesus went town to town, healing the sick, raising the dead, opening, bl- opening blinded eyes, uh, feeding people with more than enough left over. Jesus' ministry was blessed beyond magic, beyond compare. And the way we know this is, think about one of your children being sick and one of your children dying, and somebody walking in, touching your child, and raising them from the dead, and giving them back to you, and saying, that which was stolen, the life of your child, I now return turn to you, you get to raise them, you get to hold them, you get to walk them down the aisle, you get to see them at their marriage, you get to see them at their their graduation. I'm giving you your child back. If you had that moment in time with somebody, there is nothing in your earthly possession that you would deny the person who helped you. We go to the hospital and they charge us $20 for an aspirin and we get all bent out of shape about it. That's because the aspirin may or may not work, but Dr. Jesus really does work. So along the way, and, and God bless aspirin and God bless hospitals, but Jesus, He would come into a situation and He would revolutionize a moment. So now all of a sudden, moms and dads, you, could, you wouldn't deny me, here, eat at my table. You like these boots? You can have these boots. You like this jacket? Take my jacket. Anything that Jesus needed, He had thrown at Him constantly. Some people would take their coats off at one point in time and they literally threw them in the dirt and said, just, just walk on my stuff. That's how much I like you. Jesus was blessed coming in. He was blessed going out. He was blessed in the city. He was blessed in the field. And the Bible says that you and me are heirs and joint heirs with Him. Therefore, you're blessed in the city. You're blessed in the field. You're blessed coming in and you're blessed going out. Your life's different because of Jesus. But the disciples are distraught because Jesus just gets done saying that it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to make it into heaven. Well, the issue with that, there's three different uh, ideologies there. And uh, One ideology is that there was actually a small tunnel that would go through the wall of a city that was called the eye of a needle. And camels would actually be trained to get down on their knees and kind of scoot and crawl through this small tunnel. It was too small. It was so small that way at nighttime and whatnot, people could still get into the city without having to opening the, open the walls to the city so that then you would be vulnerable to attack. Just If, if anything could come in, it was just one thing, uh, really small one at a time, and you could handle that. So the eye of a, cam- uh, the eye of a needle, uh, one, one ideology is that it was where a camel would call th- crawl through. Another ideology is a, 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 a knot. That, that a sailor would make was called the eye of a, eye of a needle and the idea of a camel actually passing through a knot that a sailor would tie. And then, of course, the one that comes to mind now in 2014 is uh, a camel, big old camel, going through the eye of a needle like you would sew a button on a shirt. 
Either one of those three situations, it's still the same. It's incredibly difficult, if not impossible, for a camel to go through any of those situations. So what Jesus is saying, it's next to impossible, if not impossible, for a rich man to be saved. Now the disciples, they get all bent out of shape and they say, well, who can be saved then? Because here we are, you're sinking our boats with blessing. We're walking around with you. We're blessed everywhere we go. We're blessed coming in, blessed going out. And Jesus then says to him, when he understands what's going on in their heart, he says, with man it's impossible, but with God all things are possible. Fast forward to Jericho. Jesus realizes that we need to make an example. We need to make a point because the disciples are hanging up on this thing. And in 2014, there's going to be churches and teachers that teach that you're supposed to be poor and are able to make it into heaven. So Jesus said, how about this, Luke? How about you write chapter 19 and clear up the fact that you don't have to be poor to go to heaven? So he says to him, he says, and he sought to see Jesus. This is Zacchaeus. He sought to see Jesus, verse 3, who he was. And he could not for the press, meaning all the people. All the people were so around him because he was little of stature, which proves beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus loves short people too. So Zacchaeus, Zach, if you will, he's trying to see Jesus, but he can't see Jesus because of all the people that are around him. He can't see Jesus, so he figures, I've got a plan. And the Bible says he ran before and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was to pass that way. Zacchaeus wanted God so bad that he began to look for clues to where God goes. You see, in your life and my life, the Holy Spirit, God, leaves clues and leaves evidence of the direction that He's heading. He leaves evidence and clues of the direction that He'd like you to go. Zacchaeus, he, he was obviously a sharp guy. If he was a tax collector, he was really wealthy. And he couldn't see, but he could see the crowd. And the crowd was going in this direction. So instead of trying to uh, push his way through, which he didn't think he had a chance of doing, he ran in front and he made plans to encounter God. You and me ought to make plans to encounter God. Here's how you do that. Sunday morning, I know where me and my family will be every weekend of the year. That's not saying we might not take a vacation, but the standard in my life and in my home is a planned encounter with God. I see where God's moving, I see the direction God's heading, and I myself am planning and positioning myself and my family to be there at the intersection. Zacchaeus goes in front of the crowd, climbs a tree, a sycamore tree, the Bible says, and he's waiting, and the Bible says, verse verse 5, Jesus came to the place, looked up, and saw him, and said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste, meaning hurry up, man, and come down. For today I must abide at your house. Verse 6, And he made haste, he hurried up, and he came down, and he received him <coughs> joyfully. And when they saw it, they all murmured, they all murmured, saying that he was gone to be guest with a man that is a sinner. I always find it strange that, that people think it's weird when Jesus goes after a sinner. I always find it strange when Jesus goes after somebody that's lost. It's not funny for a fisherman to carry a fishing pole, tie a hook on it, and throw it out in the water because he's trying to catch fish. Jesus wants to catch 
people. So it's an unusual idea for it to be perplexing that Jesus Christ, the fullness of the body, fullness of the Godhead bodily, is looking for people and looking for the lost. So the Bible says that the people began to murmur against him. But what I find interesting is Jesus didn't come up to Zacchaeus' tree and look up and say, Zacchaeus, number one, you're too short, come down. No, he didn't say that. He didn't say any of the things that may have, may have, that may have made Zacchaeus self-conscious. He didn't point, any, point out any of his faults. He didn't point out any of his problems. He didn't point out anything about Zacchaeus' life that somebody might view as unfavorable. No, no, no. He walked up and called him by name. In your situation... In your life, when you are uh, up on the tree and feel like you're hanging out on a limb and you don't know what to do, it is the King of glory and the Lord of lords who will walk up and not say something smart aleck to you and not tell you that you're going to fail, but He will simply call you by name. He knows how many hairs are on your head, even if it's zero. He knows everything about your life from the beginning and the end. He knew everything about Zacchaeus. He knew everything that was said about Zacchaeus. But he still walked up to the tree. Jesus calls each one of us by name and it's at that point in life where we have to remember though we feel like we're alone, though we feel like we can't make it at times, the God of heaven still calls us by name. Amen? Zacchaeus stood, said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, half my goods I give to the poor, and I've taken, if I've taken anything uh, from any man by false accusation, I mean, if I've cheated anybody, I restore him fourfold. I'll pay him back four times as much. Zacchaeus, you can cheat me anytime you want if you're going to pay me back fourfold. Zacchaeus says to him, he says, Listen, I know what these people are saying about me. But I don't trust my resources more than I trust God. I don't put trust in who I am. I don't value my things more than I value people. And Jesus said to him, This day is salvation come to, come to this house. For so much as he also is a son of Abraham. Verse 10. For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. To seek and to save. Jesus said, Zacchaeus, I must go to your house. I'm here to seek and to save that which was lost. I know ten verses ago, people are going to twist it and they're going to act like it's they, that God has a problem with rich people. God doesn't have a problem with rich people. A lot of rich people have a problem with God. Jesus said, I must go to your house. I got 12 guys following me. I'm going to lose one and I'm going to call the other one the devil. <laughs> but I got to show them that it's not somebody's economic situation. It's not somebody's race. It's not somebody's gender. It's not somebody's cultural leaning that I'm looking for. I'm looking for the lost. Jesus said, I came to seek and save that which was lost. Another opportunity Jesus shows us. 
he, he's walking and he's with his disciples and he goes, okay, guys, you guys going ahead of me because where I'm going to go, I have to go to Samaria. I must needs go through Samaria. And, and he goes through Samaria and Samaria is an interesting place. And, and, and people from Samaria were called Samaritans. Imagine that. And everybody that's a Christian has probably heard this, the parable of the Good Samaritan where two uh, well-dressed preachers walk by and there's a guy that's, that's hurting and, and beat up and robbed on the side of the road. And instead of helping him, they walk around and they leave the guy sitting there bleeding to die. And all of a sudden a Samaritan comes up and he doctors his wounds and he takes him to a hotel and he pays for the hotel. And he said, if you need to pay anything else, I'll pay that when I come back. But, but, the, problem is, uh, uh, but the problem is with a Samaritan, you and me always think something positive, but back then, it was exactly the opposite. The reason Jesus used the example of the Samaritan because people from Samaria were considered outcasts. They were considered no good. Jews had nothing to do. Hebrew people, Israelites, had nothing to do with Samaria, Samaria or Samaritans. That's why it was strange for Jesus to go through, go through Samaria. But Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost. So he goes through Samaria and he gets to a well, Jacob's well, the Bible says, and there's a lady. And, and, and Jesus says to her, he says, he says, hey, lady, can you get me something to drink? And she says, who are you even talking to? I can tell that you're a Jew. Uh, you're not supposed to talk to me. You wouldn't even, you know, pick me up off the side of the road if there was something wrong with me. Why are you even talking to me? And Jesus says to her, he goes, listen, he said, you don't understand. He said, if you knew who you were talking to, you would ask me for some water and I would give you a drink of living water and you'd never be thirsty again. All of a sudden, this lady who is drawing water at noon, the Bible says, which is not typically when ladies would draw water. And people who are uh, very wealthy do not draw their own water. They have people who go get their water. So this lady wasn't uh, all that well off, and she's drawing her water at noon, which means she didn't want to be drawing her water at daybreak when all the other ladies drew the water because she probably got tired of all the names she was being called under her breath and all the rolled eyes when she walked into the room and all the people that were looking at her past and looking at the negative attributes instead of believing God for her future. Jesus said, I must. Go through Samaria. So he gets to Samaria and she says, she says, whoa, 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 whoa. Where's this water at, Jesus? She doesn't know his name yet. Where's this water? Where's this water? Because, because I'm so sick of carrying all this water. And Jesus makes mention of her husband. And she says, I don't have a husband. Well, listen to me. Here's the deal. God never asks you a question that he does not know the answer to. When God asks you a question, the question is really this. Are you going to be honest with God and honest with yourself? Or are you going to play tiddlywinks? God is not like you and me. He does not see through a glass darkly. He knows the end from the beginning. He knows everything in between. He knows how it's all going to play out in your life. He knows every single aspect of your life. And He knows the answer that you're going to make before you give it. But what He's wanting to know is are you going to be honest? Because the moment that you're honest with me, I can work in your situation. Here's an example. Oh God... 
I want you to help me. I want you to bless me. Uh, just, you know, let me not get a ticket when I'm driving uh, on, on Highway 6. And, you know, I'd really like a Starbucks gift card. So if, if there was a way that I could find one in the parking lot at Walmart, that would be great. And then all of a sudden, deep in your spirit, you hear something. And maybe you don't even know it's your spirit, but you hear something in your head, in your mind. And it's a question like this. When are you really going to give me access to fix your nasty temper. Well, well, um, I don't have a temper. Really, you just told God, who knows everything, that you don't have a temper. Oh God, just bless me coming in. Bless me going out. I, I wish, I thank you so much that the Aggies won. Come on somebody. I'm so thankful God that you know, you blessed us with Kenny Hill. I'm for real about that. I'm just so thankful that you're opening the windows of heaven over my family. And then on your innermost being, you hear this thought. Your husband would do better if you would talk nicer to him. Well, I'm not ugly to my husband unless he needs it. See, God is asking you to see if you'll be honest. Because the minute you're honest, Zacchaeus, young lady, then he can help you. Jesus went to Zacchaeus and said, come down. Zacchaeus heard the accusers and he immediately was honest with Jesus. He said, Jesus, I know what they're saying, but here's the truth. And when he spoke those words... Jesus followed them up by saying, Today salvation has come to your house. The minute Jesus said, uh, uh, Go tell your husband. She said, I don't have a husband. Jesus said, Truth. You're being honest with me. Now I can mold that because Jesus was surrounded constantly by Pharisees and a bunch of nonsense people who paid more attention to the outside than they did the inside and they were never honest with themselves and they were never honest with him but the minute he heard a breath of truth now he can function he says I know and and you've had some other husbands and I understand that and and the guy you're with now he's not your husband but here's the deal he, he says I'm here to change everything I came to Samaria for you you're on my target list because he came to seek and save that which was lost one more story the Bible says at one time uh, Jesus tells his disciples, he says, okay, guys. He said, uh, we're going to go to the other side of the lake now. We're going to go to the other side of the sea. I have an appointment, so to speak. And as he's on the way to go do the will of God, to go do what he said he was going to do, the Bible says in the middle of the night, there arose a great storm. And the ship that they were in was tossed from side to side and it began to take in water and the waves were crashing and it was just an overwhelming uh, concern. And the Bible says that Jesus was terrified and shaking. No, no, no. The Bible says the disciples were terrified and scared that the ship 
was going to sink. And they got to the place where the Bible says they were sore afraid. And then one of them had the idea, maybe we should wake up Jesus. In your life and in my life, how many times has God exposed a piece of our future to us? An idea that we know something good's going to happen. But somewhere between here and there, the winds of life blow. The boat begins to toss and turn, and it's like it's going to sink. And we travail and we grab the paddles and we drop anchor or we don't drop anchor. We cut the anchor. We raise the sail. We lower the sail. We try everything we can think of. We make ourselves a bologna sandwich thinking this might be my last meal. And then in the 11th hour, we finally decide to pray. What would happen if we did what the Bible said and prayed without ceasing. Because you see, whenever they, they, they came to Jesus, they didn't find Jesus distraught. They didn't find Jesus concerned. They found Jesus in the bottom part of the back of the boat, sound asleep. And they woke him up and said, Jesus, don't you care that we perish? Jesus says to him, he says, you guys, do you not have any faith? I told you, we're going to the other side. So that means we're going to the other side. For you in your life, you're pushing in a direction. You see the mark for the prize of the high calling in Christ. That's how we say it in Scripture. But you see the direction that God is trying to get you to go and you're heading there, but you have an adversary that's doing everything and anything to stop you from getting there. And along the way, the ship that you're in is going to be tossed and turned. But it's in that moment that you have to remember if God said you're going to the other side, you're going to the other side. Jesus gets up, stands on the bow of the boat, says, now that I'm up, peace be still. The winds lay, the water's calm. And now instead of being able to ride the winds of the storm, the disciples were all in trouble and they had to row that boat over there. Just kidding, I don't know. Sometimes the storms of life can propel you to another level. So the Bible says they get to a place called the Gadarenes, Gadara. And Jesus steps out of the boat and His holy, sinless foot lands on the beach. And as soon as that happened, there was a man who lived in a tomb, lived in the graveyard. And he was possessed by the devil. The Bible says some 6,000 devils. Demons. And they would tie him with fetters and chains. And he would just break them. Boom. Like the devil's power team. Y'all ever seen the power team? Team impact? Just And he would cut himself. Listen to me. 
If you've ever hurt yourself, stop it in the name of Jesus. That's not of God. He has good plans for you. Maybe not physically you've hurt yourself, but if you've ever talked bad about yourself, I'm never going to be this, nothing good ever happens to me, listen to me. Let's just stop that today. Let's decide that we're going to say things like Jesus says about us. Let's just decide we're going to talk about ourselves like God talks about us. That doesn't mean haughty. doesn't mean boastful. It just means I'm a child of God. I'm going to act like it, and I'm going to declare it. I can't stop you from talking about me. Go for it. But I'm not going to join in. When I talk about my children, I say they're blessed. Can I just share this one thing? Sometimes they don't act like they're supposed to act. But I'm a thermostat. I'm not a thermometer. A thermometer just tells you what the temperature is, but a thermostat adjusts the room. I change the situation. My kids start acting funny. I say, whoa, baby, 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 baby. That's not you. That's not how you act. You know better. I love you. Come on now. Sometimes i got to turn it up a little bit. <laughs> If y'all wonder what goes through a preacher's mind, Missy, you know this. When you're preaching, you'll say something and a thousand things flood your mind. So the minute I just said, I got to turn it up a little bit, there was a thousand stories and I love all my children uh, uh, equally and, and without, without uh, measure, but all those stories had to do with my son. <laughs> So Jesus steps on the beach and a man possessed with 6,000 devils runs from the grave, falls at his feet and begins to worship him. 6,000 devils from hell cannot stop you from getting to the feet of Jesus. And the devils begin to negotiate with Jesus because they know they're gone now. The king of kings just stepped on the scene and it's over for him. So they began to negotiate. They said, well, now, uh, uh, just would you please put us in the pigs? Because everybody likes bacon. If you don't like bacon, you've never tried bacon. And the same spirit of suicide that was on the man that tried to kill him, Jesus threw it into those pigs. They ran, fell off a cliff, and all died. The Bible says the man was put in his right mind. And when the people from Gadara walked up, they saw a man sitting next to Jesus, clothed and of a sound mind. One of the main things Jesus wants to do for you is give you a sound mind. Did you know 90%, this is a proven statistic, 90% of the things people fear will never happen to them. Example, bit by a snake. You know how few people get bit by a snake? My dad's been bit by a snake. <laughs> it was his fault. You don't grab a snake. Snakes bite people. You heard about the snake that said, pet me, I won't bite you? Man walked up to the zoo. There's a, there's, a, there's a snake which was talking. 
which we proved in Genesis that you shouldn't deal with. But he walks up and there's a snake and the snake's talking. And, and, and the snake says, pet me, I won't bite you. And the man said, are you sure? He goes, yeah, pet me, I won't bite you. He said, you really won't bite me? He said, no. So the man reached over to pet him and the snake bites him. Wham! He said, you bit me. He said, I'm a snake. <laughs> Snakes bite people. Ninety percent of the things you fear will never happen. But when the enemy can gain control between the ears, he controls the rest of the situation. That's why Jesus wants you to have a sound mind. Because if you're living in fear, guess what? You can't help deliver somebody else who's living in fear. And the fullness of your job is to seek and save that which was lost. So the Bible says that the man's sitting there in the right mind, and he's got, he's got clothes on, which is another positive situation. And, and a bunch of people from the Gadarenes walk up, and, and they go, whoa, this guy, he was so strong. He broke chains, and, and we, couldn't, we couldn't corral him, and he was just crazy. And if this Jesus guy is stronger than him, we don't want Jesus around here because here's the deal. The supernatural, if not taught properly and not exposed in a godly manner, will scare people. That's why you can't leave your opinions to your, uh, uh, what comes up in your mind. You have to put your opinions in line with God's Word. So they're like, oh man, we got to get rid of Jesus. So guess what? Jesus says, okie dokie. So I don't know how long he was there, but here's the deal. Jesus doesn't take a long time to get rid of a bunch of devils. So he steps off the boat. Man walks up, worships him. Jesus casts the devils out of him. The people walk down from the city, see the man sitting there, ask Jesus to leave. Jesus goes, fine, I'm gone. Boom. It's back in the boat and leaves. That's because God goes where he's invited and stays where he's made to feel welcome. You want God in your home? Please quit cussing at your wife. Please quit cussing at your children. Please quit flying off the handle just because you had a bad day at work. You want God in your home? Get that nonsense, stinking thinking out of your mind, out of your life, and out of your situation, and God will reside in your house. So the Bible says that the man sitting there, the people come up, ask Jesus to leave, Jesus agrees to leave, and the man, which is the same thing I would do, says to Jesus, please take me with you. And Jesus says, no. We don't know his name. I don't know his name. Tomb Raider, maybe. I knew a guy, or I heard a story about a guy named Mustard one time. It was Mustard. So he says to him, he says, no, you got to stay here. And I'll paraphrase. Jesus said, I want you to go tell your friends and family everything that God's done for you. Which is to say this. No, 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 I, I got to go. But I'm going to need you to seek and save that which was lost here. And I'll bet you the man broke down. I would. 
God just delivered him from 6,000 devils. Now he's going to sleep at night. He's not going to cut himself anymore. He's not addicted to drugs anymore. He's not addicted to alcohol anymore. He's not a jerk anymore. All the things of his life are starting to come around. And, and he wants to stay with Jesus. And Jesus tells him he's got to go. Seek and save that which was lost. Jesus gets on the boat and heads off. But, but I, I like to think about the kind of church he would have built. Maybe it was New Heights Church of the Gadarenes. Maybe it was the biggest building on the beach. Maybe people drove up and said, what kind of a place? Why do they need something like that? Here's the deal. Jesus said, he who's been forgiven of a lot loves a lot. So the man's sitting there, and I bet you about once a month he preached this sermon. I would preach it if I was him. I bet you he kept a pile of chains on the stage just for that right moment. And he would sit there and he would go, You guys know me now, and you like my suit, and you like the way I talk, but you should have known me a few years back. And what happened a few years back is I was just going about my day, yelling at people and screaming and breaking chains and cutting myself with a rock. And then all of a sudden this man, who was not like any other man, stepped on a beach, and somewhere on the inside of me I just knew I had to get close to him and when I got close to him he spoke to me and he touched me and all the problems of my life had to get out of my life and my life got miraculously turned around and now I have a sound mind. These are the chains that I used to be bound with. These are the chains that used to fed, that people used to tie me up in. But now I'm here to declare that the same God who delivered me will break the chains off of your life too. I could hear him preaching this message knowing that not only does Jesus seek and save the lost, he calls us to do the same. A rich man, a poor woman with a speckled past, to say politely, and a man so addicted and possessed by the devil that everybody had given up on. This is who we're looking for because this is who He looks for.